G'day guys, and welcome back to Glory Days. We'll pick up right where we left off with the North Aubrey 1984 Rags to Riches story. This one's made possible by our wonderful sponsors, North Aubrey Football and Netball Club, Martin's Bus Lines, North Aubrey Tire Power, MLM Electrical, Lavington News Agency, Rudy Johnson Real Estate, and the North Aubrey Players and Administration from 1984. Let's pick it up from the start of round 13. The Hopper season is on the line with seven wins and five losses. Let it rip, Robbie. G'day all, welcome back. Great to have you back for another Glory Days podcast. This is episode B of the North Aubrey 1984 Rags to Riches story. Last episode looked back on the club's financial dilemma and the loss of its captain. Some mixed results on the field are about to change as the hoppers freed up on and off the field, culminating in a pulsating grand final finish. Enjoy the completion of North Aubrey 1984, Rags to Riches. Three men, right time, right people. Merv McIntosh, hard man, got the finances under control. An elite coach, Martin Cross, and a great leader, people person in Peter Westland. You, know, you couldn't get that scripted any better than that. And I guess that's why it ultimately did happen. We pick it up in round 13, and the Hoppers were at home to Coral Rutherglen, who had beaten them in round four and were on track to repeat the dose when they kicked the first goal of the final term to take the lead. Out of the carnage, a fuse was lit, and it was Rudy Johnson with three goals in a row who found the spark. North Albury kicked nine goals on the trot to blow the ruse off the park and win by 45 points. Peter Westland finished with eight goals, while Johnson and Tim Taylor, who booted five, and Roger Peters and Terry Farrell dominated the aerial contest. Janet Westland said home games meant a social function, which were all very important. At that time, I was actually on the social committee with um, some of the other partners, and we were working because we knew the club was in financial trouble. So we were working very hard at having functions after every home game to sort of bring some money in the door and trying to encourage supporters to come to, you know, to put some money into the club. So it was, you know, in a way it was a very social time because we were very aware of trying to raise as much money as we could because we knew that um, the club was in, in dire straits. So, yeah, the social side of it didn't stop. Yeah, most of the players I talk to, that they do say that, that the, the whole group socialised very well together. Yeah, no, we did. Look, you know, as I said, home games, we always had a function on and it varied from theme nights to then they often had things on a Sunday. So, yeah, they were very well attended by the players and players' partners and, you know, friends. So we were really trying to encourage to get more people to sort of come along to those social functions. I mean, you know, A, it was good for the morale of the club, but it was also in the effort of fundraising. And Janet, it must have been just amazing, the transition from sort of that point around May and June. And, you know, to win the Premiership was absolutely fantastic. And, and I believe from, from what Rod's told me, that even grand final night was a really good money earner for the club down at the showgrounds. But did, did you think that it was possible that they could get to the situation they did so quickly? Um, I think probably because I was aware of the people that came on board, like Merv McIntosh, and obviously Rod took a much larger role. I think I knew that those people had been successful in their own lives and um, were, I mean, they rolled up their sleeves and they worked hard. 
And I think everyone probably played their part, you know, the whole, you know, playing a role. Everyone was, I think everyone was involved. And I mean, it was, it was a good feeling when you really work hard for something and you get the success at the end. It's, it's fantastic. And that's what, that's what's happened. North Albury entered the top three for the first time all season when they successfully negotiated the road trip down the Hume Highway to beat Benalla by 40 points. Despite horrendous goal-kicking conversion and all in brawl before the first bounce with best of field Barney Brown and Benalla's Neil Drake at the forefront. The Hoppers kicked nine goals 26 and when they only led by five points at the final change, it looked like it would be costly, but led by Wayne Osteris, Robbie Knight and Tim Taylor, they added five gold six to one behind to secure the four points and a great launching pad inside the top three for the first time. It was Knight's first game back after missing four weeks with a hamstring injury. Well, the day had arrived. North Aubrey at home to Wodonga. Last time they played, John Smith was a hopper's skipper. This time, he was in the opposition. In a rather low standard game, it was indeed John Smith who provided the crowd with a game highlight. As the halftime siren sounded, players started to make their way off the ground, with Smith on return to Bunton Park, walking into the North Albury change rooms out of habit. The large crowd was right into him and gave him the works and the directions to the opposition rooms. North Albury controlled the game throughout and went on to win by 22 points, with Rob Harrington playing a blinder and Terry Farrell not far behind, as the Hoppers' credentials reached a new level. Wodonga's Bob Craig was reported for striking Hopper Tim Taylor and suspended for two weeks. Timmy Taylor recalls the incident. Yeah, we have a past players uh, function twice a year, I think, at a home game at, uh, at Bunton Park, and we had him uh, as our guest speecher, speaker. He was also coach at the time, so he's, yep. he's popped in and he just says, uh, and someone asked him, you know, have you ever been reported? And he said, well, in all my time, and I think it was, I think he'd played 240-odd games, he said, only ever got reported once. Have a night, Tim. And it was, once again, I think he, he, he busted his hand on the back of his gone, so you do get that every now and again. Next up was another trip down the Hume to take on league leaders Wangaratta Rovers, who North Aubrey had beaten in round seven. The tenacious hoppers were to emerge victorious again, inflicting the Hawks' third loss in four weeks, winning by 18 points. They had to do it the hard way, coming back from a 27-point deficit in the second term before taking the lead midway through the third quarter and never looking back. North Aubrey kicked nine of the last 11 goals. The brilliance of Tony McTavish, Rudy Johnson, Graham Cook, David Gould and Big Rod Page ensured the Hoppers were going to secure the double chance and still have an outside chance at the minor premiership. The second last round of the home and away season was a trip to the Albury Sports Ground to take on the Tigers, who were bottom of the ladder with just two wins, but very keen to give the Hoppers a real shake. This they did, and thoughts of a boil over were well founded when they led at quarter time by three golds. However, any chance of a derby upset disappeared in a dominant second term where North Aubrey kicked seven goals seven to four behinds. Another eight goals in the final term had the margin blow out to 80 points, with Peter Westland snaring seven goals and David Gould five. Adrian McIntosh and Tim Taylor were others to star. Westland's elevation to captaincy mid-season coincided with a spike in form. Westland's wife, Janet, said Peter enjoyed the leadership role. Yeah, he did love his hoppers. It was sort of pretty much our whole life there for um, many, many years. 
Um, as far as becoming captain, I think probably because he replaced Johnny Smith. It was a bit, you know, he he, he really loved doing it and he had a lot of um, really strong other leaders around him. So he sort of just took it all in his stride, but it was obviously a very proud moment for him to take that role over. But um, he had lots of helpers. Yeah, yeah, and it was it was sort of as it turned out. I think it was Terry and um, Timmy ended up being his deputies. So it was, and they were yeah. the last three left over from the um, uh, the nineteen eighty premiership. So yes, yes, and they, you know, they they were um, teammates, but they were also um, very strong friends. So and and maintain that still till today. So it was sort of an easy transition in a way. It was probably all the things that were going on in the background that were more troubling and that um, probably caused more angst than actually taking over the leadership of the club. Yeah, that was probably one of the easier parts. So because, um, yeah, and what did, how was um, Pete going like with, you know, what we've happened with John and that is, um, you know, the, the captain to leave and a, a, a friend and a teammate um, what, was, yeah. what were Pete's sort of thoughts at the time or had he just sort of had to move on, I suppose? Look, he had to move on. Um, people who know Pete is a very pragmatic person and he just, like, he takes and took so many things in his stride and this was one of them. John Smith still remains one was one of his closest friends and they maintained that friendship over all the years. I think Peter was really disappointed that John took that stance, but he also he also thought, well, John, if that's what you want to do, you've got to follow what you know, your heart and do what you think's right. Um, and that's and that's exactly how he looked on it. I mean, I know they had many, many phone calls over that um, period of time, but Pete was never one to hold a grudge or anything like that. He just took it in his stride and morally said, well, John, if that's what you've got to do, you've got to do it. As long as you're happy with your decision, that's, you know, that's, that's what you've yeah. got to do. And I reckon it would have been a, a fairly... Um a uh, fairly comfortable transition for Peter actually being captaincy of men and, and, and teammates because he, he was popular, but, he, but he's also a good leader. Yeah, he was, yeah, he was very popular. I mean, he always looked out for the younger players and there was quite a few players in that team that had sort of come through the juniors and he was always one that was very aware of um, looking after those kids and teaching them and encouraging them to strive to be their very best. So he sort of just continued on in that vein when he did become captain. Yeah, I mean, he always loved working with and being with you know, a lot of the younger, you know, the, I say younger kids. I mean, they weren't young, they yeah. weren't kids, but they were younger than he was. So, um, yeah, he just took it in his stride. The final home and away encounter for 1984 was at home against Myrtleford, and it turned into a training run for the Slick Hoppers as they strolled to its sixth win in a row, hammering the finals-bound Saints by 97 points. Another best-on-ground performance from Rudy Johnson enabled him to take out the Border Mail All Brick Football of the Year Award and a thousand bucks as well. Westland with seven goals and Greg Feltwell with six combined superbly up forward, while David Gould and Billy Mulraney starred in the midfield. Fullback Dougie Oswald played his best game of the season. The only injury concern for the Hoppers was an ankle injury to speedy winger Graham Bowyer that would threaten his finals appearance. Westland finished runner-up in the goal-kicking with 78, 10 behind Yarrawonga's Ross Flanagan. In a remarkable-looking ladder, the top three teams all finished with 13 wins and five losses. 
with Wodonga taking the minor premiership 4% ahead of Wangaratta Rovers and another 4% to the third place North Albury. Myrtleford finished in fourth place, half a game ahead of fifth place Yarrawonga. Defending Premier's Lavington missed finals by just 0.03% despite winning its last five games. The North Albury seconds finished in second place and the thirds, coached by senior star Billy Mulroney and Max Gifford, missed the finals with just three wins for the season. The Albury Sports Ground was the venue for the qualifying final between North Albury and Wangaratta Rovers. The Hoppers made just one change at the selection table, with defender Rob Knight returning from injury to replace the injured Graham Bowyer. North Albury went into the final with confidence sky high, having won six matches in a row and having twice beaten the Wangaratta Rovers during the season. The pre-game prediction of North Albury's pace being a worry for Rovers certainly came to fruition as the Hoppers produced a stunning brand of attacking football that landed them a 38-point win and a place into next week's second semi-final. The real surprise packet in the Hoppers' victory was the eight-goal performance from the underrated Greg Feltwell in just his third game of the year. His teammates called him BP, the quiet achiever, a reference to the BP ads on television at the time. By working on a new supply of resources, we could be helping to create a new supply of jobs and a new supply of hope for the future. BP Australia, the quiet achiever. Hopper coach Martin Cross reflects on Feltwell's hidden ability. And it was funny because a few weeks before that, I used to sit in the secretary's office at home and watch the reserves. I was sitting there and I was thinking if we can get to, I remember thinking this because I've got it written in the book at home, if we can get to 15 goals, we're, with, we're in with a chance. What can we do to give Wizard a hand up there? And I was watching this, the reserves play and Greg felt was playing centre-half back in the reserves. We didn't call him BP for nothing. You know, he was a quiet bloke, the quiet achiever. He used to play some pretty good footy and thought, I, I probably haven't looked at him hard enough. You've got to look at your reserves players. You've got to know them all. Yep. And you can't discount any of them. And I was, I was watching him and he, he was just so cool and got on with things and he was courageous, he was a good mark, socks down, untidy looking, <laughs> buggery horse. <Yep. laughs> and uh, I think might have been the next week we just put him in the side in a forward pocket and he kicked us three goals. He just knew how to get in the right spot at the right time. And then he, he kicked goals in every game from there on. He didn't play many games, but he kicked goals in nearly every game from there on. And that was another little turnaround for us. So, so we, we, we're probably on the board. We're probably getting closer to being good enough to match it with anybody. The Wangaratta Rovers losing score of 18-14-122 would win most finals, but the North Albury forward line led by Feltwell, Peter Westland, who kicked seven goals, and Rudy Johnson, four goals, all in the third term, and 29 possessions were way too slick as the Hoppers kicked 24 16, 160. Tony By did a superb job tagging Laurie Burt and then later in the match curbing a red hot Neville Pollard. Rod Page was a winner in the ruck while McTavish had 26 possessions. Wayne Pendergast, Roger Peters, and Terry Farrell were all outstanding contributors. Rod Malavi spoke about the leadership of Terry Farrell and Tim Taylor. Peter was the glue that kept it all together, but he had really good allies in 
Terry Farrell, who who was the vice captain, I think, and and Timmy Taylor, who was deputy vice. And uh, look, both of those guys are just fantastic blokes, but they they were part of the leadership group that did keep it together. It could easily have fallen off the track. And, uh, you know, both of those guys, I reckon, uh, are a bit underestimated as players. Uh, they're both dual premiership players. You know, Terry used to play centre-half back well. He used to give away almost a foot every time he played against somebody, you know. And, and Timmy Taylor, well, the whole of the crowd used to wait every Saturday for him to shirt front somebody uh, and he didn't let us down too many times but behind all of that he was a terrific player I reckon terrific player and of course he, you know the, the, the things that, that go on but the, the famous Rudy Johnson goal and you might talk about that to Timmy but it was Timmy that palmed it down to him and uh, he doesn't talk about that much but uh, you know it was a it was a magic moment in the history of North Albury and Timmy uh, will own that for a long time In the elimination final, Myrtleford, despite kicking two less goals than Yarrawonga, won an absolute thriller at the Wangaratta Showgrounds, 12-24-96 to 14-9-93. In the seconds, North Albury, despite more scoring shots, were beaten by Wodonga. Once again, the Albury Sports Ground would be the venue for the second semi-final blockbuster between minor premiers Wodonga and North Albury, who were on a seven-game winning streak. The Hoppers, who had beaten Wodonga twice in the regular season, made no changes to its winning team from the qualifying final. Wodonga selected Ian McGregor for his first game of the season after breaking a collarbone in 1983. On a magnificent warm spring day, both teams produced one of the finest ever second semi-final contests in Ovens and Murray history that went to the wire with North Albury, courtesy of a late Rudy Johnson goal. Yes, remember that, a late Rudy Johnson gold to win by seven points, 18-16-124 to Wodonga, 17-17-117. The massive crowd of 6,500 were kept enthralled throughout as the scoreboard reflected the momentum swings with North Aubrey taking up the early running in a brilliant seven goal to two first quarter and a 34-point lead at quarter time. David Gould kicking four for the quarter against an ill-disciplined approach by the Bulldogs. This time it was Wodonga who kicked seven goals for the quarter, with Jeff Elkington snagging four and Craig Cleary three as the margin was cut to 14 points at halftime. Another seven-goal quarter by Wodonga, including two to former hopper John Smith and three more to Craig Cleary, had the Bulldogs hit the front and take an eight-point lead into the last quarter. A stirring three-quarter time address from Martin Cross amongst a huge and boisterous contingent of Hopper's supporters had the North Aubrey boys leave its huddle, fight up and fight its way back to a magnificent victory led by best on ground, Rudy Johnson. It was a magnificent running goal from Johnson that put the Hoppers back in front late in the quarter as the defence led by Terry Farrell, Wayne Pendergast, Rob Knight and Doug Oswald kept Wodonga to just one goal. Eight straight wins and the recovery mission launched mid-season by the new committee led by Merv McIntosh and Stan Gogel had just been rewarded by a brilliant coaching performance from Cross and a never-say-die attitude from the 20 players. The grand final ticket was booked. The seconds were eliminated in cruel circumstances when the game was tied at full-time, 103 apiece, after Hopper's Mick Minogue shot on gold after the siren missed 
and the point registered tied the scores. Wangaratta went on to win in the 10 minutes of extra time. The first semi-final at the Wangaratta Showgrounds was an absolute thriller, with this time Myrtleford's inaccuracy costing them dearly, as Wangaratta Rovers prevailed by one point, 13-12-90 to 11-23-89. Myrtleford's combined score in both finals was an amazing 23 goals, 47 behinds. So for the third week in a row, the Aubrey Sports Ground was the venue for a final, with the preliminary final between Wodonga and Wangaratta Rovers being played on the Sunday. A crowd of just over 6,000 watched Wodonga defeat Wangaratta Rovers by 61 points, with the game being marred again by dreadful inaccuracy in front of goals from both sides. Rovers blew its chances in the first quarter when they kicked two goals nine. Wodonga finally won 16-22, 118, to Wangaratta Rovers 6-21-57 to earn another crack at North Aubrey in the grand final. Grand final week got off to a great start for North Aubrey when Rudy Johnson took out the 51st Morris medal for the Ovens and Murray Football League's best and fairest player in front of over 400 patrons at the SSNA club in Aubrey. Johnson won the award just three days before his 21st birthday and three days before a grand final appearance. Johnson started at North Aubrey Juniors as an 11-year-old and would play his 70th game in the grand final. He polled 18 votes, one ahead of Benalla Rover, John Martinello. Cole Reynolds from Wodonga took out the reserves medal and Chris O'Connor from Wangaratta Rovers claimed the thirds medal. The 1984 grand final at the Lavington Sports Ground would be the first time North Aubrey and Wodonga had clashed in the decider. Both clubs would be trying to win their fourth Ovens and Murray Football League senior flag. Wodonga had been runners-up on seven occasions and North Aubrey four times. The Bulldogs' last flag was 1981 and North Aubrey was 1980. The grand final had so many layers to it, with the recent history between the clubs ensuring an explosive game. The Wodonga 1984 grand final side had more players in it who played in the winning North Aubrey 1980 Premiership side than North Aubrey's 1984 grand final side had in it. Wodonga coach Cole Travaskis was the 1980 winning coach of North Aubrey. John Smith, who was captain of North Aubrey for half the 1984 season, was the assistant coach of North Aubrey in 1980. While Rover Alan Curtis and wingman Peter Clayton both playing for Wodonga in the 1984 decider were also premiership players at North Aubrey in 1980. North Aubrey fullback Doug Oswald crossed to North Aubrey from Wodonga at the start of the season trying to get a regular senior game, while rugged defender Wayne Pendergast played in Wodonga's 1981 premiership. North Aubrey secretary Merv McIntosh and the man duly accredited for the club's remarkable financial turnaround in 1984 he had two sons playing in the grand final, Adrian for North Aubrey and Hayden with Wodonga. And just for good measure, a third son, Robbie, was playing at Aubrey. North Aubrey for the third straight final went in with no changes as speedy wingman Graham Bowyer was not quite right as Martin Cross explains. Graham Bowyer. And uh, we really wanted him to get him, get him over the line because Bowie was a runner. He was, was quick and very skillful. I actually gave him till Saturday morning, and then uh, I was pretty much prepared to play him. But I asked Bowie sincerely, and he said, "Crossy, I don't know whether I would last." 
I thought, well, mm. we've got to make a change. So Jonathan Gould came into the side. There was one other injury scare that Cross didn't find out about, as Bill Mulroney explains. Towards the end of training, I went to spoil a mark, contested mark, and punched the ball away. Anyway, as a result, balled my hand and broke a bone in my hand. Anyway, so leading up to the grand final, I thought, this is not good. Anyway, trainer Les O'Brien and the local chiropractor at the time, Graham Ronan, who arranged the x-ray for the next day, and yeah, sure enough, it was broken. Anyway, we just sort of not, not to say too much, and uh, no, I'm not sure what Martin Cross was told. <laughs> anyway, on the day, um, Les Bands are up and um, give me a small tablet. Not sure what the tablet was, probably an only an aspirin or something. But anyway, I did the job. <laughs> anyway, prior to that... Um, Johnny Smith, who now was playing for Wodonga, whom, whom I got on well with and had no hard feelings towards, he, he came up to me in front of the change rooms uh, before the game, say good luck and all that sort of stuff, shook hands, he squeezed the hell out of me hand. He obviously had got word somewhere that uh, I'd had a bit of trouble. Anyway, I looked him in the eye and said, all the best, mate, and um, that was it. Anyway, I must have convinced him that uh, that it was okay because I don't recall anyone targeting my hand throughout the game. I played on Peter Clayton that day and he just simply played the ball, which was good and I was, I was thankful for. I sort of funny, you know, like I've got a vague memory uh, of the game, funny enough, and it's probably the fact that uh, you know, I got concussed and I had to sit out the remainder of the game from well, about 10 minutes into the last quarter. And I had a bit of a look at a replay later on to see what had happened. And it turns out my old teammate, Rudy Johnson, who had actually elbowed me in the head yeah, in a contest. Anyway, yeah, that was sort of game over for me. Anyway, I had a headache for the rest of the day and, was, and I was actually in bed by 11 o'clock. Everyone else had a great night. The pre-game entertainment was the famous Carlton Bluebirds, who would also reappear at halftime as the scene was set for what was to be one of the great grand finals in the league's history in front of 11,000 spectators. The North Albury banner awaiting the players' arrival onto the ground was teetering in the breeze and it read, From rags to riches is our story. A united effort will gain us ultimate glory. Well, here's North Albury and uh, let's have a look at them as they come in. They're all bunching up. Their banner's just about falling apart, but they're going to hold it together long enough. North Albury, there it is there. From rags to riches is our story. United effort will uh, get us uh, something about the glory. They're all together. Here they go. They'll come through that banner any tick. There's the hoppers. Things did not take long to hot up as a brawl erupted at the coin toss, resulting in Bulldogs coach Cole Travaskis being reported for striking North Orby's Tim Taylor. They've only just tossed the coin. No one's sure where the coin is, but it's been on for about a minute and a half, and, uh, oh, there's numbers everywhere. Uh, umpires taking numbers everywhere. I don't really think the umpires saw much because it all started while they're all watching the toss of the coin, but it's uh, certainly on, Jim. What a, what a start. Taylor was right in the thick of the action and explains... I have been known throughout my career of being a lazy bugger for any of the pre, pre-match stuff. So they're doing all... Our boys are just going up and down, doing lane work. And uh, Westo decides he's going over to do the toss. I saw beautiful. I'll slip into that. Stood over in the top. And the umpires come along and there, there's um, Cole and, and Wizard and they're after the toss of the coin. The umps got turned around ready to toss and says, right, I said to Cole, you toss. You, you're going to call and... Um, Westo just turned and said, no, 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 no. We won the second semi-final. I'm calling. Cole goes, we finished on top of the ladder. I'm calling. So it was like two little kids in the, in the, in the scrap fight. And I'm sitting along there and going, boom. And all of a sudden, it's just gone push, push, shove, shove. And then uh, uh, going that. And then Johnny was on, um, on uh, Cole's 
other side. So oh, yeah. I've just so Cole's lined up and he's going to hit Fatty uh, Westo, and I've just happened to got in between and he copped a. I've just got one nicely in the in the back of the scone, and uh, once again he broke his broke his thumb on the on the head, and uh, yeah, that was how it all. All did, and then all of a sudden, Cole's got to go off and get his hand strapped up. So the umps just turned to her and said, "All right, Peter, what do you want to call?" Bang, and he called, and he's won the toss. And uh, yeah, that was the start of the that was the start of the or prior to the start of the match. It was all a little bit of entertaining. I had a fellow by the name of Jeff Elkington that we both worked at the Bank of New South Wales at. Uh, in High Street in Wodonga. So, and as soon as uh, Coles hit me, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to, to have my little bit of a, a go with, uh, and he's just grabbed hold of me from behind and uh, he said, no, 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 mate. He's on his hit the up, I standing right beside you. He said, don't matter, get this let go of me, I'm, I'm in. But uh, no, that was the, uh, the start of the match to make it a yeah. memorable match. Wodonga wasted opportunities in the first term, kicking three goals six, while North Aubrey, who kicked the first three goals of the game through Tim Taylor, Peter Westland and Roger Peters, took a one-point lead at quarter time. Is North Aubrey now coming, clear the ball from their half-back line, out towards the central wing where Gould is leading in the race for the ball, comes onto his uh, right foot, a good kick, and oh, he's down after he kicked it, and a fifth. A penalty will go downfield. That was silly play by Robert Grote with the breeze, and that is the 15 metre penalty too. And a 15 metre penalty as well, and this time it brings Timmy Taylor right up, right on the three or four metres out from goal. And North Orbe should be the first to score a goal here this afternoon. There's the kick, and it's straight through. Here's Craig now with his uh, punt kick up towards the central wing. Johnny Smith goes high, couldn't hold it, picked up by Knight. Well down from the back pocket, up towards the forward line. North Orbey flying, it's a North Orbey mark, Peter Westland. Well, Peter Westland certainly uh, made me eat the words. I said he wasn't a big mark, but uh, he certainly took a good mark there in front of Here's his teammate. Here's well, uh, then, Graham. Uh, Westland about 20 metres out from goal, almost directly in front. Should have no trouble putting the second major on the board for the North Orbey side. Craig on the mark, here's the kick going towards the goal now. The goal umpire's moved, but we'll wait on his decision. There's the two fingers and the second oh, major. Oh, Bobby Craig's not happy Aubrey. either. He was on the mark. Look at him standing there. Well, happy actually, at all. Bobby Great doesn't look they very happy fell too. Umpires. The goal umpires. Bobby Great standing in the ten-yard square, scratching his head as well. The ball out on the central wing, and the mark has been taken by McIntosh. McIntosh now on the central wing puts the ball right up towards the centre half forward position, looking for Peters. Oh, and good Peters grab. comes out and takes the mark in front of his opponent on that With occasion. The roof, Peters about 48 right metres out from goal. With the breeze behind him, has the chance to put the ball right up into the 10-yard square, but a good kick could almost get through the goals. Roger Peters, a strength for the North Orbey side all season now, comes in from 48 metres out. <laughs> Lines up very carefully. How'd you measure that, Jim? Uh, there's a line on the ground, Brian. It's 45 metres out, and there's a great kick from Peters. The second quarter started well for the Hoppers, with Westland landing an early goal. Kicks towards forward. Westland in front. Westland's oh. got it. In fact, I think he got knocked into it, Jim. Uh, the set, uh, what is really only a slight breeze now, a chance to put them further ahead. They're only that one point. Westland, a reliable kick. The umpire doesn't move outside the two big ones. The two fingers go up. Wodonga, in a genuine arm wrestle, settled and took a two-point lead into the main break. Bulldogs' David Wartman was doing a good job curbing Rudy Johnson's impact, while on the other side, Hopper's tagger, Tony Bye, had restricted Bulldogs star Ernie Whitehead. 
The highlight of the quarter was a brilliant gold from Hopper's Billy Mulraney. And a free kick this time going to uh, Wodonga. What do you mean it's a leg up? <laughs> There's the uh, oh. cook breaking loose. He gets the ball further afield for the North Orbey side. No one is able to gain possession. Picked up by Timmy Taylor. He runs around his opponent. Tries to get a submarine kick on that position. Taylor, he does. Finally oh. picked up this time by Bill Mulroney. Brilliant play, Mulroney. Great play, Play of the day, that one, Jim. Play of the day. The third quarter had North Orbey take control, with the masterstroke of introducing Greg Feltwell into the game, reaping huge benefits, as Feltwell kicked three crucial goals and set up another. And Wesson is going to take the mark, and he's a long, long way out of goal, around about 50 metres out, but right in front at the true centre half-forward position. Peter Wesselin, the veteran full forward from the North Albury side. Not a good kick down towards Peters. Knocked away this time by Cox. Picked up by Gould. A hand pass over to Feltwell, and he's touched. He missed it. Oh, touched as the goal umpire, so he's missed it. It's a free kick now. Let's have a look. Uh, the umpire's down there. It's a free kick to North Albury. Uh, let's have a look to get at the ball, and... Uh, well, the umpire's seen different, and it's felt well, well to kick his first goal for the match. In comes Oswald, he gets a hand pass out. North Orby defence through the agency of Farrell. Come in now, take the ball away. A beautiful piece of shepherding there. Players go high now. Madonga defence coming in, can't get the ball. Picked up there this time. Forward North Orby by Westland is well out from goal. Wood gets the ball. He shoots a hand pass to no one in particular. Picked up brilliantly by Johnson. He's ridden into the ground. Feltwell goes up. He's underneath it. Could be drive. Kicks off the ground. And oh. In comes Harrington. Scoops it up beautifully. Oh. Has one bounce showing the pace of a rover as players go down behind play. Picked up this time by Clayton. His handball not very effective. Picked up by Robbie Great. He can't get the ball away. Brilliantly picked up by Gould. He drives North Orby up towards Feltwell. Oh. He's unattended and takes the mark. Actually, Jim, it was pretty poor play by Wodonga. Damian White's the player, who's a wing player, and there he had to race down there, you know, to try and get there and stop Feltwell, and he does nothing more Damian White can do well, but the try Wodonga and stop the Well, the Wodonga defence was completely out of position on well, that occasion. Well, I've noticed this. Now, Bob Craig was right up past the centre of the ground a while ago. Jim, and he's been one they're of the They're not recovering, there. Bruce. No, they're not recovering. It's another goal to North Albury. They go down to 14 points, and that's getting to possibly the biggest difference between the sides since the start. A long-range goal to Peter Westland. Peter Westland, he's not too far out. That's right. a good one. Great kick from the Peter Westland. Ignited the hoppers. Then Tim Taylor extended the lead to eight points, going into time on. Bill Mulroney now, about uh, 45 metres out, goes for the short pass, looking for Timmy Taylor, and it comes off. Good football by Bill Mulroney, a good lead from Timmy Taylor. As a matter of fact, he's had a good quarter, Jim. He's had a very good quarter, and Taylor now about 30 metres out, almost directly in front, has the chance to put the North Orbe side eight points up as we come into the time on period, and uh, we'll wait on the goal umpire's decision. There it is, eight points up to North Orbe at the 25-minute mark of the third turn. After Feltwell kicked his third, North Orbe had one hand on the cup, going into the last quarter with a 16-point lead. They had lost defender Barney Brown with an ankle injury for the rest of the game, being replaced by Jonathan Gould. The last 30 minutes left the crowd wanting for more as both sides showed amazing courage and fight to play out one of the all-time great final quarters in grand final history as the game hung in the balance right to the end. Two quick goals to start the quarter by John Smith and then Hayden McIntosh had the doggies fight back within four points. 
before McTavish got a quick reply for North Aubrey to take the lead back out to 10 points. Kicks up towards the 10-yard uh, square. It's a beautiful kick straight through the middle. And that's a beautiful goal to Johnny Smith as North Aubrey... North Aubrey lead now. 11 goals, 10, 76. Let's have a look at as Cleary now with the ball up towards his forward line. Rudy Johnson tried to get the mark, couldn't get a play on, says the umpire. It's close towards goal as Wodonga pick it up and it's off the ground. It could be another goal. Four points the difference. McIntosh, wasn't it? McIntosh. Difference in an exciting last quarter. Are Wodonga going to do what they did to Albury a few years ago? Yes, and here's the ball in the centre of the ground now. Up the big men fly. Page uh, couldn't get the tap out on that occasion. Wodonga players trying to get the ball away, but the ball will be ball bounced up by central umpire Westgarth. North Albury 11-10-76. Wodonga 10-12-72. Three minutes into the final term. There's the ball up as they go up high. Travaskas gets the tap out, picked up this time by McIntosh. He drives North Orby further afield. It's picked up by Peters. He gets the ball further afield. Felt well. And McTavish leading the race for the ball. It's through a goal. A goal by McTavish for North Orby. And it's 10 points once again. A quick reply from the North Orby combination. A goal to John Smith from a free kick. Reduced the margin to four points. Minutes later, Anthony McTavish missed a golden opportunity for North Aubrey with behind. Then David Turner stepped up for Wodonga, kicking a goal to put Wodonga in front, and then two minutes later, extended it to a seven-point lead in a breathtaking grand final. Yes, that was a great mark by Young Jones as he gets the ball up towards the centre of the ground. Here's Whitehead breaking loose. Sees a lead from Damien White on the half-forward line. Johnny Smith's there too. Tries to get it out to White. He does so. Gets the ball up towards the full-forward zone. And on his own there is Turner. Turner now turns and shoots. It's a goal. And Wodonga have hit the front. The 11-minute mark. And it's a real Ovens and Murray grand final, this one. Two sides locked in battle so far, and uh, we're 12 minutes into the quarter. We've got to say, though, Graven, the scoring end of it, uh, Wodonga has been far superior, four straight goals. Well, I'll tell you what, you, one. you can put your foot in it sometimes, but I think North Albury is slowly just running out of legs. Could be too, Graham. I think that the marking power and the big man strength is starting to tell Wodonga. Umpire Westgarth bounces it, Pagey up. All go, Pagey. Down to Curtis. Couldn't get a kick in. The ball's underneath the pack. And umpire houses. I'll have it, fellas. And away we go in about 15 to 16 minutes' time. It's desperate football by both sides as the pack's there. Nobody getting the ball out. And umpire Howe says you're hanging on to him. And it's going to be Peter Island will take the free kick to uh, open up the game again from the centre of the ground. Island, left foot, out towards the half-forward flank. Bear Allen's in front. He couldn't get it. Over the back goes to Vasquez. Handball to Whitehead. Whitehead in the left foot. David uh, Turner... He's got it. Turner got a chance now to put Wodonga. He's a left footer, but he should get it from there. Only about five metres really out from the man on the mark. He kicks it goal. The umpire hasn't moved the goal umpire. But it's a goal. David Turner kicking the 13th goal for Wodonga. 13 goals, 12 to North Albury, 12-11. And uh, time starting to uh, tick away in this grand final. North Albury attacked strongly, but missed opportunities from first David Gould and then Roger Peters both resulting in behinds as Wodonga led by five points after 18 minutes. Wodonga immediately made North Aubrey pay after the Peters miss, 
running the ball the length of the ground for Hayden McIntosh to run into gold and put the Doggies 11 points up after 19 minutes. Go Olin again, gets the tap out to Bobby Craig. Craig caught with the ball, down it goes onto the deck. Play on, says the umpire. Curtis uh, has the ball, hand calls, good pass across to Cleary. Wodongo, way they go again. Here's a chance now, two out, dual credit gas in the, the back. Here's a chance now, Hayden McIntosh played well in this last quarter. Gains control of the ball. Oswald can't handle him. It's uh, McIntosh running in, he's put it through. The Bulldogs were on a roll, and they had booted six of the last seven goals. But this North Aubrey side, it did not know the meaning or fear of defeat, and kept surging forward, knowing that opportunities would come, but they must convert. At the 20-minute mark, Wayne Ostris gathered a loose ball, got a handball onto Adrian McIntosh, and he did what his brother did for the opposition just three minutes prior and kicked a great running goal from 45 metres out and reduced the margin to five points. Throw in on the half-forward flank for North Albury. Up goes Peters and Owen. Peters uh, nudges Owen out the road. Play on, says the umpire. Here's uh, North Albury player coming through. Gets the ball out, hand pass out to Gould. Gould has a shot. It's going to be close. In fact, it's a goal. It's got to be a goal. It's a goal. First, North Albury. Then Wodonga missed wonderful opportunities to goal. Wodonga were defending grimly and forced a boundary throw in 30 metres out from the Hoppers' gold at the grandstand end of the Lavington Sports Ground with 28 minutes on the clock. What happened next is part of Ovens and Murray folklore as Tim Taylor and Rudy Johnson orchestrated a brilliant goal. My part with that is about four or five times during the year, the uh, opposing ruckman was tangling with Roger Peters around the half forward just to negate his height and his leap. So we came to a, um, a deal basically or tactic that he'd wrestle, I'd come over the top and tap it clear, usually to the best part of two or three metres clear, gives a free shot for the little fellas just to run on and um, just get on with it, get on with the job. And uh, in 84, we had you know, a lot of close matches that we got over the line because it was just go that extra bit, the game ain't over until it's over. And I think even against Wodonga, we sort of, three of the four matches we played when we beat them was within one kick of the game. So we thought, we thought that we were never out of the game. So we we're always there to just to go till the siren goes. And that was a little bit with the Rudy's take a long-winded approach to come back to it. When, when we were there, we were just sort of, We'd come back into the game with young 80 McIntosh um, kicking a goal after his brother had done the same thing for Buddy Wodonga for a couple of times. So they'd, we'd sort of been that 11 points down and, and then um, uh, 80 kicks his goal. So we're really tight. Boundary throwing in the corner. Little Rude just standing off the pace three, about three metres. Didn't have a bloke on him. And I said, yep. And he goes, yep. And we just sort of give the nod. Roger's getting tangled with the with the Ruckman, I've just come over the top and said, thank you very much, tapped it down his throat. And ironically with Rude, people say, oh, what a fluke. I said, if you ever watch him train, every train and run, as soon as he gets hold of the ball, he's shooting for goal. Whether it's a dribble kick, whether it's a, a banana kick, whether it's snapping over his shoulder, if we're doing two laps, yep. he's picking up the ball and he's having a shot at goal each time. And he usually used to drive a few of the boys ratty because he'd have to go on and fetch the ball, but uh, he would just do that time and time again. So fluke, no, skill, yes. And you knew with Rudy, what you got in the first quarter, you got in the last quarter. He just was a machine. He's just a consistent player. McTavish is most probably the, the more talented of the two with yep. sheer talent and pace, but you knew it, Rudy, 
if it was there to be done, he was there. And he's the best kicker for a goal that I've, that I've ever played with. Timmy knew where I was sitting and standing, and I just knew he'd flick it, you know, at times he'd flick it over the back. And, yeah, we did that a number of times during the year, and it just happened to be that I was able to get a little bit of space. Um, he put it right in the right spot, and uh, everybody think, remembers me kicking the goal. Uh, they don't remember Timmy flicking it over the back. So, um, he, yeah, it was just – and I was lucky to just get it on the boot, and, and it just, you know, snuck in. I, I will admit there's been plenty of Wodonga supporters – over the years, I said that it was on the the other side of the goalpost. But uh, <laughs> I was pretty pretty happy when the uh, when the the goal up, I put the two fingers up, and uh, uh, yeah, got swamped by the players. And then we still had a couple of minutes to go, so we really had to focus. But but it's weird, you know, that last five or eight minutes, you know, we were probably two goals down, uh, and I still remember that really clearly. I, I, I honestly believe most of our of the guys in our team thought we could still win the still win the game because we we'd been in close games before and and you know we just had a belief that we could win and uh, you know when Adrian McIntosh kicked that goal and then we're only a goal down we just I don't know I, I just think you know it was meant to be for us and we had that belief that we could get there so it was, yeah it was great and it'll be a throw in five points the difference oh there can't be long to go there hasn't been a lot of time on there it is down to Johnson Johnson's kicked the He's kicked the goal. Johnson's kicked the goal. He has to. Johnson's kicked the goal at the 27 and a half minute mark. And a brilliant bit of play over the top. And all the Donga. Well, Graham, that's why he won a Morris medal. Oh, gee, I'll tell you what. It was, I, I will say this. You can't say one decision kills a game. But the Wodonga backmen were all desperate for the ball and didn't look after the players then. And Johnson was let loose. Johnson was mobbed by delighted teammates as the Morris medalist had added another remarkable moment to his remarkable year. North were now unstoppable and attacked in the final minute, scoring two behinds before a towering kick-in from Bulldogs' Rob Grote was marked in the middle of the ground by Rob Page with the siren sounding seconds later. Grote desperate to get the ball back into action for Wodonga in a great 1984 grand final. Oh, the tag of players there. And Rod Page, who's been a stalwart for North Orby, takes the mark midfield. Three points the difference at the 31-minute mark of the final turn. It's a siren. It's, a siren. it's all Come over. Oh, well, commiserations to Wodonga. They played a magnificent game. But, uh, Jim, all oh, congratulations to North Aubrey. They've uh, come from backwards and they've done it. And North Aubrey, 14-16-100, defeated Wodonga, 14-13-97. Immediately, the ground was flooded by North Aubrey supporters as the reality of the rags-to-riches dream had come true that three months ago was at nightmare status. Janet Westland recalls the day, the build-up and the celebrations, while Rudy Johnson said it was a dream come true for a local North Aubrey lad. Myself and um, one of the other players, wives, um, Diane Bowyer, we were sort of pretty much the, the banner makers. Oh, I mean, we had, a huge, we had a huge crew of people that helped, and we make it, you know, for those days, we made a pretty big banner. But um, we got a couple of the guys, Shane Toga from um, Albury and another one of his mates, who they made a really big one for that time that they played Lavington in the grand final. So we contacted them, and they were really helpful and basically <laughs> told us how to go about it. So we were bit like we were really busy for nights on end um, making the banner. So it just sort of just flowed. We didn't really have much downtime to think about what was really happening. So the day came and it was 
It was just go, go, go. So exciting. I mean, you were just on this amazing adrenaline rush. And I honestly don't think, you know, I think there was probably quite a few people that didn't even drink an awful lot. They didn't need to um, because the high was just so great. that, And, it, you know, it was just, you couldn't believe that it that we'd had the success that we I mean I think we felt we deserved it yeah and it was such it had been such a stressful and busy and hard-working year that you just sort of felt well this 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 group of people deserves this success and that's exactly what happened and I think probably and I mean it's been said many times they didn't have a lot of champions in that team but they were certainly a champion team if you know what I mean was Peter one to get nervous before the game or how? It- not that you're ever, it was very business-like. Well, you know, this is what we've got to do. Yeah, not, no, I didn't show any signs of stress at all in that whole period, to be honest. And I think, once again, it was, you just didn't have time. It was, you know, there was so much going on and so many things that had to be done. And, yeah, and I think it just took it, you know, it was exciting. It was just so exciting that it, you just sort of took it all on board and just went with it, went with the flow. And, um Janet, do you remember when they were, the boys were 11 points down late in the game? Did you, oh. did you think that, you know, it just wasn't going to be? I can remember like that like it was yesterday. I was sitting with a couple of um, partners and wives and I remember because I'm a very emotional football supporter, I will own up to that. So I had my heads in my I had my heads in my hands, and so I was morally saying, "No, this is not fair. This shouldn't be happening. It's not fair." And of course, then someone nudged me, and Rudy had kicked that goal, and it was just like elation, like you cannot believe. We were jumping up and down and squealing and yelling and hugging each other, and yeah, I can remember that like. It was yesterday, that feeling, amazing. Did you hear the siren? Because sometimes in those big crowds you don't actually hear the siren. I th- yeah, I think, and I, you know, because I'm such a footy person, I always, you know, especially in finals, I take notice of what time the quarter started. So you sort of, it's got to, the siren's got to go, the siren's got to go, and then it finally went. I can sort of more remember um, Pagey having the ball and throwing it up in the air. That was sort of more a vivid, you know, the game's over because Pagey's throwing the ball up in the air. He's not going to do that if the game's not over. So, yeah, I'm sure I would have been aware that the siren went, but um, it was quite iconic, Pagey having the ball and throwing it up in the air. Being 11-year-old, you, you know, I remember watching, watching the seniors play at North Orbe and I were my heroes and, and back in those days, even uh, John Smith was still playing and Wayne Stiles and Gary Stiles are my heroes back in those days. And it was just, yeah, so the goal was obviously, even at that age, to play at North Aubrey and then, you know, obviously hopefully go to, to a higher level. But seeing the Hoppers play each week, uh, and they were very successful in the mid-70s as well. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, a dream come true. The North Orbe celebrations were huge, with a massive turnout of supporters attending the basketball stadium inside the Aubrey showgrounds. The night was also a huge financial windfall for the club and deputy vice-captain, as Tim Taylor recalls. Just before the, the grand final, I think it was Thursday night, uh, one, of the, one of our supporters said, look, there's a couple of Wodonga boys that want to get on. We're a little bit short in what's, uh, what's required. Uh, uh, and he was saying it to a few of the players here, anybody want to get on? And I said, I'm in. And they said, oh, well, I said, what's your short for? He said, about 800 bucks. I said, done. I said, I'm either going to be very happy or I'm going to be very sad and it's not going to make much difference, so I might as well hook in. So uh, needless to say, we've, we've been successful and then we were at the uh, Albury Showgrounds and we're having a few beers and 
our our supporter handed me the cash and I've gone, oh, this could be a big night. I might lose this. So uh, in the end, I uh, handed it to Jack. So Janet. you basically doubled your money, I'm guessing? Yes. Yeah. 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 That's good coin uh, back then. Good good yeah. coin in that day. Yep. And I just uh, handed it to Janet Westland and thought no more of it until uh, I think it was presentation night a couple of weeks' time. She said, I've got something of yours. I said, Oh, what's that? And she handed me the money and I've gone, oh, I wondered who I gave that to. It was a big night. Actually, it was a big couple of days. So, uh, yes, it was a profitable venture. Vice-Captain Terry Farrell said it was a huge night and celebrations were enjoyed by all. It was the biggest party I've ever been to. Just the supporters that were that were there that had actually backed us back in the time when we nearly folded. And um, I think we raised a heap of money that night just rattling footies and just anything that anything that had North Aubrey on it. So it was great. It was a riff here. Well, I think we partied for a week at Sodens. It was good fun, good fun times. Can't get much better than that with the crap that went on early in the year um, and, and where we finished up. So you, you can't do any better than that. Like I said, my 81 was a bit of a blur. I was first year in young and I didn't even really know what was going on. But <laughs> but this one, you know, being, being involved, you know, Wizzer and Crossy and, and those guys, a bit on the inner sanctum, I suppose, it was it meant a lot. Martin Cross and Rob Malavi spoke about the captain and great mate, Peter Westland. Wisdom was my backstop in that sometimes I'd be cranky and upset someone. And next thing I'd see after training, Wizard's got his arm around his neck saying he didn't mean it, mate. <laughs> he was the looker after her. Tremendous leader on the ground and off the ground. And he was just such a beautiful person too, Peter. Good man to know. I loved him, mate. I, I'm not ashamed to say that. Great bloke, great mate. Um, but if we, we go back to that sort of time, you know, with with Johnny Smith, he was the captain leaving the club. You know, wow, there's a bit of a void there, isn't there? And somebody's got to step up. And so he became the captain there in in mid-June um, and he would obviously go on and hold that position until he retired for another three years. But um, again, hard to describe how, how more perfect a captain at that time he was. You, you know, he virtually sort of understood that the players really needed to block out all the, you know, the other stuff that was going on off the field and just playing footy or focus on playing footy. Now, he was just such a natural leader. He is a person that was very inclusive, very humble bloke. Certainly, when he became captain, he didn't want any credit for anything just because he was the captain. He just brought the whole group along with him, really by being himself. There was no falseness to it, no authoritarian. He was just himself and uh, enjoyed the company of everyone in that team, you know, being a, a good bloke. And, and they all loved him for it, mate. I, you know, I hear them talk about him now, you know. They all loved him for it, and he, and he was just the right... He's such a positive outlook on most things, and, and given the mess that was going around them at the time, he just needed someone with a positive outlook, and it was simple, you know, to, to make the best of it. Nothing I can do about that, he used to say, and let's just get on and have a good time and play some footy with, my, with your mate. A- absolutely, absolutely. Oh, you know... They would have talked many, many times after John had gone, but they, you know, John came over to the induction of Peter into the North Albury Hall of Fame, um, and, he, and they were great mates and, and remained uh, good mates for a long time. You know, that, that would have been difficult for Pete. Anyway, he, he just used to get on, and, and of course, it didn't hurt that Pete was a pretty good footballer as well. Like, he, you know, it just helps, you know, if you're a dud out there, it doesn't help people follow you, but... 
And I think I just want to say, you know, this ability, his kicking skills were where he's real, apart from all the other things. But he could kick both feet, which was not common at all back then in 1984. Equally as well with both feet. And so when he had the footy in his hand lining up for goal, you know, you just knew you, you know, you're more than likely going to get a goal out of it. He kicked 94 goals that year, didn't quite hit the ton, but he got that that many away that he could have easily done that wasn't a prima donna sort of full 40 he was really good on the lead and always hard though at the footy and and they have the footy all the time and it was in his area so very competitive player as well and champion bloke i, I don't reckon there'd be many better than him i'd say just just one of the the great great men and you know just fitted the time you know they sort of a lot of country boys and you know they had the same sort of culture and outlook and you know i think it was just the right group there for the right time and and they were just playing footy for their mates then or with each other and having a good time so of course Pete enjoyed having a good time so he was pretty good at that as well I think he led there as well mate not just on the footy field The 1984 North Albury Premiership team was from the back line Robbie Knight Doug Oswald Barney Brown halfbacks Robert Harrington, Terry Farrell, Wayne Pendergast. The centre line, Graham Cook, Adrian McIntosh, David Gould. The half-forward line, Rudy Johnson, Roger Peters, Billy Mulraney. The forward line, Greg Feltwell, Peter Westland, Tim Taylor. The rucks, Rod Page, Anthony McTavish, Tony Boy. Interchange, Wayne Ostras and Jonathan Gould. Missing through injury, Graham Bowyer. Well, there you have it. One of the most magnificent off-field comebacks to claim one of the league's most incredible premierships. What a year 1984 was for the North Aubrey Football Club. A huge thank you to episode sponsors, North Aubrey Football and Netball Club, Martin's Bus Lines, North Aubrey Tire Power, MLM Electrical, Lovington News Agency, Rudy Johnson Real Estate, and the North Aubrey Players and Administration from 1984. Don't forget, if you want your sporting moment brought back to life, get in touch with us at Glory Days. But for now, thanks for listening. Stay safe and catch you next time on Glory Days.